0: This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme...
1: It takes me 45 minutes to drive to work. And what a 45 minutes they are.
2: I planned to get there early that first day. I wore my good suit because it was
0: plain and neat and seemed just right for an office. COVID-19 is transforming people's relationship to work with millions now out of a job and many more getting used to working in a very different way. Hello and welcome to Inside Geneva and in this week's programme we're going to have a look back but also a look forward at the world of work because we all changed pretty dramatically how we worked in the last year and a half. And it's been very difficult, economically challenging as well for many, many people. But it's also had a lot of us thinking, well, maybe this is something we need to take a long, hard look at. Were we working in the right way, that old office bound Monday to Friday, nine to five structure? Can we change things in a way that will benefit all of us, not just the shareholders, not just the company bosses, but all of us. So what I'm hoping for today is a really aspirational discussion about the challenges that lie ahead with that. And to join me, we have Chidi King of the International Labour Organization. She's head of gender diversity and inclusion.
2: We have seen that where strong labour protections and social protections are already in place, countries were able to better navigate the consequences of the pandemic.
0: We have Cédric Dupont of Geneva's Graduate Institute. He's a professor of international relations
3: there. We discovered each of us going to the supermarket and having the ability to speak to a cashier you suddenly feel less alone. Teleworking is challenging the very mode of hierarchy and the fact that you have a manager to control a manager to control another manager and so on and so forth.
0: And we've got our regular analyst, Daniel Warner, who reminded me before we started that he has for quite some time not been in a office-bound nine-to-five job and therefore perhaps has a particularly good
1: perspective to bring. I just hope it will end because I hope we can go back to some form of humanity in talking to each other face-to-face. If people are given the options, it will be interesting to see who wants to go back to the office and who would prefer to stay home.
0: I want to start with something a bit informal, but I think it, it will get us off on the right track, is to ask you all, how the last year and a half has affected you, your experiences having to change from one way of working to another. Chidi, I'm going to start with you.
2: Okay, hi, and thanks, um, thanks, Imogen. Um, I think like um, many people, at least those who have had the good fortune to be able to adapt to teleworking um, in terms of um, the jobs um, that, um, that we hold, um, the adjustment has been quite dramatic. If you're used to being able to engage face-to-face with colleagues on a daily basis. If your job, for instance, um, involved some traveling, all of which came to quite an abrupt end. If your job entails meeting with um, various um, partners, all of that, of course, had to switch to remote working. And in an organization such as the International Labour Organization, where you are working with um, partners, with constituents in different parts of the world, of course, you know, there was that adjustment of being extremely aware that not everybody has um, access to the same technology, not everybody has access to um, being able to work from a home environment in relative comfort. Many people were forced into not only the aspects of working remotely, but also juggling, looking after family members, children, dependents, dependents who may have become ill with COVID, etc. All of that um, had to be balanced. I think my personal experience was that, yes, I, I did find of course, some benefits, you know, things like the commute kind of disappeared. But, the, you know, the downside to that, of course, can be that you end up connecting for much longer hours because, you know, the hours that you work don't necessarily reduce, you just end up, you know, spreading them longer over the day. So it, it, it has been interesting. And one can see or certainly could see the benefits of um, being able to work remotely, whilst at the same time, very much missing the sort of interaction that you have from being in an office environment. Mm-hmm
0: what about you cedric is it also face to face that you miss or is there other things
3: well in, i must say that the experience is slightly different than the one that chidi mentioned in the sense that for university professors uh, working at home was already uh, very much uh, a reality as we do most of our research at least several of us can try to have quiet you know kind of time away from office so for the research except for the traveling of course restriction i don't think it really changed very much for the teaching, of course, the most of graduate schools has been banking on this idea to be face-to-face teaching, to be sharing, you know, this classroom um, atmosphere, this energy in the classroom, and so it has. It was a radical change. You know it was difficult because it was and it was difficult both for the teacher but also for the students because they, they felt uh, as Chidi said depending on the quality of the connection somehow left or left out somewhere you know in the sky and so it was really on that side difficult we made a lot of progress I found that, on the other hand, that this um, we then switched to the hybrid mode where somewhere in the classrooms were um, away that we knew that was the most difficult because you either focus on those that are in the classroom or those that are outside the classroom, but you know to focus on both of them is actually a very difficult exercise, which we knew and we experienced very sadly. The positive things I would say is about meetings because in fact, when we return to some kind of uh, hybrid mode we had to really think, why do you really want to go on campus in the office? And so what exactly you really like, is it just the fact that we meet for meeting, <laughs> just to discuss things that, uh, let's to say in academia are often very banal, or we just go because we really want to privilege this kind of, uh, this connection with other human beings. And so I think it really can make us think about exactly why do I want to spend time there and what type of activities, if I'm spending time with people, I'm just wanting to be sitting in the meetings, hour long meetings, or be more efficient and really just you know chatting, uh, social time or informal time so so I think it's a kind of a mix it's not a revolution for most uh, you know university professor but I think on the idea that the campus but the teaching still being very presence based particularly in Geneva where we we just all our marketing is come to Geneva you experience Geneva suddenly there's no more any Geneva and so what do you do so I think it was quite an interesting experience from that perspective
0: what about you Danny obviously as we said you you, you weren't doing the office nine to five before the pandemic but still
3: well, someone
1: who's retired and as well as being technologically challenged, I'm not burned out. I'm zoomed out. Uh, t- to me, it was not the best situation. Uh, and as uh, previous speakers have said, uh, I do prefer the face to face. I do think it's, it's a radical change. Uh, and I just hope it will end because I hope we can go back to some form of humanity in talking to each other face to face.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would go along with that. I'm a journalist. And and although I've learned a lot of different ways of working, I mean, we're sitting in a virtual studio and it's it's not bad. But when there's a big story, you want to be at it. And you want, I want to be at a busy press conference and hear not just what the people are saying, but see their, their body language, the, the kind of tension in the room, or, you know, get out talk to real people about real things which luckily we've started to be able to do again and then I was actually up in the mountains not so long ago doing a, a story up there and I hadn't realized just how much I missed it getting out, sitting down with somebody face to face and talking to them. However, we've heard some interesting points particularly from Cedric and Chidi about rethinking. Were those meetings necessary and so on? What are the ways we can, if we work from home, switch off? Which for me as well has been a problem.
3: What does the future of work look like? Offices around the world are reorganising themselves. But not everyone wishes to return to fixed workplaces once the pandemic allows it. Chidi I
0: imagine the ILO is thinking... This is a really good moment to get our message out there that there should be new ways of working which are really beneficial to workers, particularly perhaps workers who need to work more flexibly, people who are caring for elderly relatives, families with young children.
2: Yes, even before the pandemic, the ILO was examining the future of work at our last um, Conference that we were able to hold um, in person in 2019, just before the pandemic, a big part of the conference um, discussions were devoted to discussing what the future of work would look like. The employers, um, governments, and workers um, crafted a declaration on the future of work. Who knew that term? <laughs> you know, the very next year, indeed, all of the things that were being discussed at that conference would accelerate. In fact. You know, things such as, um, you know, what would the jobs of the future look like? What are the basic underpinning guarantees to make sure that all workers can benefit from decent working conditions, um, from, you know, things like social protection? And hasn't that become a very important issue with the pandemic? So, yes, indeed, these are things that, um, you know, employers, governments, workers, workers, are looking at very closely what has the pandemic meant for that vision um, of the future of work we have seen that where strong labor protections and social protections were already in place countries were able to better navigate the consequences of the pandemic where there was huge you know informal sectors or informal economies where social protection systems are more fragile or weaker where there was not perhaps established social dialogue between um, employers workers and governments then the situation unfortunately was even worse We um, should say I don't think anybody fared particularly well from the pandemic but we saw um, some very quick reactions whereby, you know, dialogue um, led to measures being put in place that could, for example, protect jobs, that could protect incomes, that could address issues such as health and safety. Because whilst, of course, for those workers who are able to work from home, there can be benefits, we also need to examine what could be, you know, some of the negative consequences. I think our world of work, even before the COVID pandemic, was becoming one where issues such as psychosocial risks for instance, are very much coming to the fore. The intensity of work, the not being able to to switch off, um, as we said, very often because of the expansion of technology and working with technology. All of these again have become very, very real and now rather than the future.
3: Well, the impact of the pandemic continues to affect jobs. The latest figures show that the UK unemployment rate has risen to its highest level for more than three years.
0: There is a danger, though, isn't there, Cedric, that the pandemic could actually heighten inequalities in the world of work. We have the educated professional class who've adapted rather nicely to working from home and are now negotiating deals with their employers to keep that, or maybe three days a week at home, two days in the office. There's a lot of discussion around that. And then there are The lower paid non-professional classes who either, if they're in the hospitality sector, many have just lost their jobs by now. We have the retail people, they have to go to work. And you have areas where people, I've heard anecdotally anyway, pressure, like you come to work now, you're back to work face to face or you're not there there is a danger, isn't there, of a, a split, of a very comfortable way of working for some and a very difficult and uncertain one for others.
3: Absolutely. What well, I would like to, to state though in COVID, there is a combination of issues that are really kind of producing the, the effect of the work. There's of course this, um, this technological change, You know, thinking of what will be the future, you know, the future profession will be affected and that has been going on for a while there is also been added to that the short-term issue of the breaking of interdependence with you know borders being closed or or being more difficult to cross for goods, services and people and that of course has affected also employment but more and more short-term idea of of how fragile or vulnerable you are to interdependence and of course the two things can combine but they are accumulated in COVID. The short-term may disappear. If we go back to the normal functioning global supply chain, does not mean that there won't be changes in the way you work with the global supply chain. But we have to be careful not to think that, you know, that this short-term effect may actually disappear quite quickly. The need
0: for workers to gather together in offices has shaped almost every aspect of modern life. And the shift towards remote working could have far-reaching consequences.
3: And of course, there's the issue of how we work together. So is what do we do, what type of work, but also how, if we have to work in an organization or in a company, how do we do it? Now, this going back to the inequality, I fully agree, even though I've been reading interesting reports about the fact that, you know, in the banking industry, for instance, or in the hedge fund industry, some groups want people to come back in the office. And if you would think this is the people that are the most qualified, the higher they are all these options, but there is the idea we want them back in office. They say innovation is better when you, have, you, know, you meet someone in the hall, you have an idea and so forth. I'm, I don't really kind of completely convinced by this story. I think it's a story where we also want to go back people in office because you want to control them teleworking is challenging the very mode of hierarchy and the fact that you have a manager to control a manager to control another manager and so on and so forth, because people are out there. And so people have tried to innovate how they can put somewhere in the computer to make sure you're working. So I think there's a different issue here. And inequality may be not necessarily as severe in terms of how you know the options, if you've worked for an organization, if you're you know, well-trained, but in an organization which is controlled and they really want to control you and you may have to go back. Now, the, the issue of, of all these people losing their job is really very much to COVID affected by the type of crisis that we had, which is a health crisis and the fact that some jobs are clearly more dangerous. And then you added a layer of inequality in terms of fragility. So I think it's, a, it's like a kind of combination of different dimension of vulnerability that we're adding. And just increasing the gap between the wealthy and, and the less wealthy, clearly.
0: Danny, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think, just alluding to what Cedric was saying there, that the boss class is too rigid and too entrenched in the old ways of working? And that that's going to be a problem as we move out of the pandemic, hopefully taking some of the things we've learned, the good things we've learned from this change way of working.
1: Well, I completely agree that the pandemic has exacerbated inequalities. Uh, But I use a phrase my son gives to me several times when I say I have a problem. And he turns to me and say, you always have rich people's problems. Uh, And it seems to me we're talking about white collar workers. We're talking about the professional class. And one of the things the International Labor Organization tries is what they call the human centered recovery. And not every works in an office, not everyone has a computer. Uh, And to me, uh, as we see with the question of vaccination, we shouldn't forget uh, that there's a limited number of people who have computers in the world. Uh, And what does this mean for the other people who don't have access to any work or do manual labor? Uh, And I don't see how we're going to attack that problem uh, in the future. Uh, Robots will certainly have some effect, but I think we shouldn't uh, forget those people who don't have computers and are not part of that professional class.
0: Chidi, I saw you nodding there. I mean, this is an issue, isn't it? Danny highlights that, you know, there are people who have gone through this pandemic with only one way of working and a low paid way of working. And we're all focusing on, Cedric, you're saying there, what are the hedge fund people doing? And, you know, me like a journalist, oh, I can have a virtual studio at home. That's all very convenient. But for millions of people, it's a much more existential question, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And I think um, we, we need to remember that the majority of the world's workers actually work in what we call the informal economy, a section of the economy where there are very few rights, whether it's, you know, the basic labor rights whether it's rights to access social protection whether it's um, having earning a decent wage and therefore these are structural problems that existed um, before covid there were deep inequalities you know across countries across regions and of course within countries depending on the type of job you you hold is it a, a manual job it is a professional Is it a blue-collar job or a white-collar job? People who were laid off were more likely to be female, younger, working in less secure, lower-paying jobs. In other words, those who could least afford it. We know that these inequalities often ran along um, deep fault lines. So, you know, inequalities, of course, between women and men, between um, different ethnic groups as well, inequalities between migrants and non-migrants, and all of these have been exposed, of course, by the um, effects of the pandemic, the socioeconomic effects of the pandemic, the access to health impacts of the pandemic as well, um, and have been worsened. We know that in terms of job losses, again, some of the sectors in which jobs were lost are very highly female dominated. At the same time, many of the sectors which were deemed essential, sectors where people could not telework, the people had to go out at a time when the rest of um, populations could perhaps work from home, were also female dominated. Our health and social care sectors, our retail sectors, our essential retail sectors in terms of food supermarkets, food retail supermarkets, etc. Jobs which have never really been paid their true value. So again, re-examining what we um, deem as the true value of, of jobs has to be one of the outcomes of this pandemic in terms of creating better quality jobs and um, creating more equitable and just um, world of work. It was a moment the country came together to say thank you to those who
1: take care of us.
0: I was really interested, you pointed out, that there has started now a debate about how we value different forms of work in our society. I mean, we expected a huge amount from some of the lowest paid workers. We expected our garbage to be taken away. We expected our care workers to go into old people's homes and look after our elderly relatives, you know, from nurses, shop workers, many of them women. Cedric how likely do you think it is, though, now that governments and business leaders will seize this opportunity to create something that many of us think would be much fairer and a proper reward for the, the kind of work that we've expected?
3: I would like to be optimistic, but I'm, let's say, doubtful about you know being too optimistic. One of the examples that you gave we discovered each of us and particularly people that are more lonely when going to the supermarket and having the ability to speak to a cashier was actually quite, you know, you, you suddenly feel less alone, right? If we think this, you revalue the function of someone with a cashier, you know, in Switzerland, Migro or COP, rather than having your, you know, self-cashier stuff where you do your thing by yourself. Now, I'm not quite sure that the bosses of Migro and COP are not going to accelerate the transformation to do-it-yourself stuff <laughs> or robots rather than keep the cashier. It's a, of course, it's not, a very, it's not a very rewarding job if you think it's just to simply just to make sure that people pay the amount of the stuff they buy in the supermarket. But if you rethink what the role of such a person could be to humanize the shop again, then we are in a different world. But this type of rethinking that should be done, this is one example among others, is quite a massive change for the dominant mode of you know, financial capitalism that has been dominated most of the world so far. And that type of uh, rethinking through, I don't see it really happen much, at least in the government in Europe and the US, and even less so in a developing country. And so that's where we, we need to do it quite profoundly. Otherwise, I think, I'm, I'm afraid we'll go back to the traditional pre-COVID way to do things.
0: Danny, I saw you had your hand up there. I
3: think people are very different. I
1: think what will be interesting is that in a certain world, there will be options that those people who want to stay home a day or two or whatever during the week will be allowed to do that. And those who are more face-to-face and want to go into the office will be allowed to do that as well. So I think the word hybrid uh, has become very popular, and if people are given the options, it will be interesting to see who wants to go back to the office and who would prefer to stay home.
0: Okay, well, as ever, um, we're getting close to the end of our program. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you all briefly to imagine an aspirational scenario for the world of work based on the fact that we have had to change so much and rethink what we do. Chidi, as the expert from the ILO, what's your your perfect wish list for what we could take out of this experience and make something
2: better for for all of us? That's a big question, important question. I mean, for us at the ILO, it would have to be really seeing the realisation of the Decent Work Agenda seeing the realization of our recent declaration for the future of work, looking at the realization of the sustainable development goals. Now, all of these may sound like, you know, a lot of policy speak, but when you really pick them apart and examine the essence of what they mean, this idea of leaving no one behind, this idea of really addressing these deep inequalities that we've all talked about, not only at micro level, but also at macro level, the inequalities that exist um, between countries, between continents, as well as within households and within you know, populations in our societies. So uh, it's seeing a world of work where social dialogue is a reality everywhere, where employers and workers are coming together to shape their world of work, where um, minimum decent wages are a given, not having to be fought over, where um, social protection are reality everywhere, where, again, occupational health and safety is a strong basis on which workplaces are run, where those workplaces are free from violence and harassment, where equality and non-discrimination, again, are reality for disabled workers, for racialized workers, for women, for, you know, men, from workers from LGBTI plus communities. I mean, this is all possible. And I think, um, you know, if anything, this pandemic has shown us just how important it is that we accelerate progress towards this goal. The SDGs are not going to be met in 2030 if we don't really act urgently.
0: Okay, interesting you mentioned the SDGs because we have an upcoming Inside Geneva podcast all about them at the end of October. Cedric, last few words to you, aspirational. What could we take out of this and make the world of work better, more imaginative, more creative, and above all, as Chidi said, more equal?
3: So to contrast my view with Chidi's view, I'll focus maybe on those already that are maybe less vulnerable. And we saw during the crisis how even if you're less vulnerable in terms of not losing your job, the job environment is creating a lot of tension and burnout and things like that. And I think for me, the aspiration, or even for those that have a job right now, is to try to imagine a context in which there is less a divide between, let's say, the employer and the worker, less they and us, to, to challenge the Fordist construction of hierarchy situation that was really developed for industrial revolution, where we really want to maximize exploitation or, of the workers. And so that's just uh challenging this model of top down and rethinking of keeping a kind of management or leadership but in a more in a looser fashion and giving more room for creativity. My aspiration is to rethink the dominant mode of organizing work in large corporation or in large organization and smaller one too.
0: Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. I think our watchwords are imagination, creativity, always aiming for fairness and equality, and um, a goodbye to hierarchy. Danny you want to come in for one last word? The
1: the last word would be I hope everyone gets employed. Uh, How they're employed is another question so let's just hope for greater employment for everyone.
0: Okay well that is very much I think at the top of all our wish lists. Thank you all for joining us Chidi King, Cedric Dupont and Daniel Warner and thank you all for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at swissinfo.ch and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the programme and check out our previous episodes from a long, hard look at the United Nations, now at 75, to an account of 10 years of war in Syria to the history of how the international treaties on landmines and on enforced disappearances came about. And coming up in the next few weeks, killer robots are back on the negotiating table in Geneva. Will campaigners succeed in getting a ban? Ahead of the climate summit in November, what outcome do humanitarian agencies hope for? And are we getting humanitarian work wrong? We'll be asking two experts why they think aid needs to be decolonised. I'm Imogen folks Thank you for listening and do join us again on Inside Geneva.
2: Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, Satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.